In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. It is these words which begin today's gospel and announce for us the spiritual combat that is upon us. In the spiritual combat of Lent, we have three weapons to wield. The first is a sharp and heavy two-edged sword. When wielded with great skill and strategy, it can deal crushing blows to our enemy, the flesh. The second is a warrior's steed. Upon it, we ride with alacrity through our enemy, the world, making use of its passing goods in such wise that we do not lose sight of things eternal and seize from it jewels for our crown of glory. The third is a clarion, a shrill war trumpet. With this sacred horn at our lips, we strike terror into our enemy, the devil, calling our great king to our aid, that he may lead the charge to victory. The first weapon of which I speak is the great two-edged sword of fasting and bodily mortification. When we consider the rigorous penances taken up by our forefathers and compare them to what the law of the church proposes to us today, we are tempted to exclaim, what feeble foil is this? The two-edged blade of Ash Wednesday and Good Friday? Tis no more than a grudging nod to fasting. This sword is little more than a butter knife. In our decadent age, our gentle mother no longer demands of us a strict 40-day fast on pain of sin. She enjoins a day of fasting at the beginning and at the end as a framework, exhorting us nevertheless to practice penance on all the intervening days according to our ability. What level of rigor should inspire us in this voluntary fast? The rules of 1962, when every weekday of Lent was still a day of fasting? Of 1700, when meat was still forbidden on any day of Lent? Still earlier, when dairy was also forbidden? Or shall we embrace the fervor of the first Christians, who did not allow any substance to enter their bodies before sunset, except for the bread of angels. We shall not come to agreement on this. Surely we must rather imitate the householder of the parable who draws forth from his spiritual treasure both new and old. The lives of the saints may rouse you up to take up this great arm for the spiritual combat. Your heart is surely in the right place. But what use is a sword that is too heavy for you to lift? Try to wield it, and you may win only the laughter of your enemy as you stumble and fall upon it. During Lent, eat for health and strength rather than for pleasure, and with the approval of your confessor, adopt a simple fast that requires no special shopping 
and allows you to practice poverty in some measure. The second weapon in our arsenal is not a secret weapon, but it is often a forgotten one, whose use has always been vigorously encouraged, indeed required, by the Church. Here the discipline is by no means relaxed, though, like fasting, today the Church's laws set down almost no specific rules. You may feel empowered to wield this arm with as much vigor as did all our first fathers of the faith. I speak of almsgiving, the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. I have referred to almsgiving as a warrior's steed, for by almsgiving we bound with swiftness through this world without ever being of this world. If you are taking the time to plot out carefully just what physical mortifications you shall inflict upon yourself during these 40 days, you should spend at least as much time reviewing all of the corporal and spiritual works of mercy and making a firm resolution as to which ones you shall practice throughout Lent. Concupiscence of the flesh, concupiscence of the eyes, and the pride of life. Behold the threefold wound laid open on our soul. The first is healed by fasting and mortification. That leaves us light, healthy, and free to mount this noble steed and give ourselves with zeal to works of mercy, which heal our vanity and greed. But the spiritual combat cannot end there. Otherwise, mortification is mere fitness and self-discipline, and almsgiving no more than philanthropy and activism. The pride of life will still fester within us unless we look beyond ourselves and never cease to sound the clarion call of prayer. This third weapon is really the first, the last, the only all-essential weapon. By it we sound the triumphant march of our King and General. By it all victories are ascribed to Him. By it we sound alarm when we are wounded in the field, outflanked, overwhelmed, in retreat, and in need of reinforcements. Without it, it is certain that none of us will ever taste victory. And the battle is at hand. We have 40 hours of prayer ahead of us. I hope that not a single one of you misses out on this opportunity to begin Lent right. I wish then just to leave you with a few reminders which you can take with you this year on your Lenten pilgrimage. Prayer is defined by the saints as the elevation of the mind to God. It is noteworthy that they say elevation of the mind, for it does not necessarily bring with it the elevation of feelings. Sometimes prayer is indeed very dry. For is it an act of faith, hope, and charity, these theological virtues which reside in the intellectual part of the soul, that is, in the mind? St. Francis de Sales explains the following consideration should never be forgotten when we go to prayer, namely, that we draw near to God and place ourselves in his presence principally for two reasons. The first is to render to God the honor and the homage we owe to him. And this can be done 
without God speaking to us or we to him. For the duty is fulfilled by acknowledging that he is our creator and we his vile creatures. And by remaining before him, prostrate in spirit, awaiting his commands. The second reason is to speak to God and listen to him when he speaks to us by his inspirations and the interior movements of grace. Now, one or other of these two advantages can never fail to be derived from prayer. If then we can speak to our Lord, let us do so in praise and supplication. If we are unable to speak, let us remain in his presence notwithstanding, offering him our silent homage. He will see us there. Our patience will touch him, and our silence will plead with him and win his favor. Another time, to our utter astonishment, he will take us by the hand and converse with us and make a hundred turns with us in his garden of prayer. Perhaps the objection is already simmering within you. I've asked and I've asked and I've asked and I haven't received. It is true, our Savior tells us, ask anything in my name and I will give it to you. But St. Augustine explains to ask the Savior for something is to ask for what is necessary for your salvation. Ask for anything else and you are no longer asking the Savior. Thus we understand the words of the Apostle James, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. We are not here on earth to get the things we want, to be delivered from all hardship. We are here to adore God. At every moment of these sacred 40 hours, place yourself in his presence with all your thousands of distractions and temptations, with the intention of adoring him, thanking him, asking his healing and forgiveness, and telling him your true spiritual needs. What if I can't even do this, you may ask. Sure, I can come here for a holy hour, but I'll do a little more than just kneel or sit here like a statue. St. Francis de Sales replies, kings and princes have statues at their palaces for no other purpose than that they may take pleasure in looking at them. Be satisfied then to fulfill the same office in the presence of God. And when it so pleases him, he will animate the statue. To come here during the 40 hours is a great act of faith. I assure you, God will be with you. St. Paul, who speaks today of that divine love without which we are nothing, reminds us that prayer itself is a supernatural gift from God. The Spirit, he says, helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself asks for us with unspeakable groanings. It is indeed, as the inspired author goes on to say, an essential part of that sufficient grace that we all have received to work out our salvation, and of that effective grace given to all those whose names are infallibly written in the Book of Life. 
St. Paul continues, He who searches the hearts of men knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that for all those who love God, all things work together unto good, to those who according to his purpose are called to be saints. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Ask, seek, knock. But remember that it is Christ who knocks first. Before you ever knelt down to whisper your first worthy prayer, the Savior of your soul was already at the door of your heart and knocking. See how Christ is truly our brother. Through him, we can ask our Father for all good things. And he has promised that he will hear us. Our Lord now beckons. Come all ye who labor and are heavy burdened. Come and draw with joy from the fount of the Savior. Come watch just one hour with me. And I will refresh you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.